Good morning, Thrive Church. How we doing? Happy Mother's Day. Moms, we would not be here without you. Literally, right? All right. I've been waiting all year for that joke, so it's good to have you guys with us. Um, if you will, turn in your copy of God's Word to Joshua chapter 10 this morning. And if you've just joined us, not only do we have free family photos for you today on Mother's Day, but we also are in a series called Stranger Things in the Bible. And we've been looking at some you know, stranger things about heaven and hell. And this week, it's a stranger thing about a prayer that a leader in the Bible prayed that we're going to look at. Well, for me, in regards to prayer, the hardest thing for me is not pastoring a church. The hardest thing in my life right now is having a seven-year-old boy. Does anybody know how that feels, right? And not only is it hard because they're learning how to talk back and, you know, the disrespectful attitudes are coming out, but I'm having to teach him how to pray. And you would think, like, looking from the outside in, teaching a child to pray is so cute and just so great, and it's just awesome. And it, it is, it is. But uh, for me, I consider myself kind of a scholarly guy. Like, I, I just, you know, I took Greek in school. I love to learn the Bible. I'm just really, like, um, I, I'm kind of relegant, you know, westernized Christianity where it's all about me. And I'm like, no, 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 it's about the kingdom. And, oh, yeah, and it sounds good and great, right? Until you teach a seven-year-old how to pray. Because they pray prayers that sometimes can frustrate me. For example, it was cool how God did this, but it wasn't cool to my theology. So anyway, we're sitting there. We're looking for a piece, a Lego piece. What he does is he just, like, dismantles the Legos that he puts together from books and wants to build his own stuff from scratch. So around our house is like just workshops everywhere of him building things from scratch. I'm like, hey, buddy, they have books, and you can go like, like through the books and learn. He's like, no, 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 I know how I want to build this. I don't want them telling me how to do it. Okay. So he just goes and dismantles everything. And so he had dismantled again for the sixth time Doc Ox tentacles. And so we're having to rebuild from scratch, hit the way he wants them done. He needs this one little piece. And we are looking for an hour, y'all, for this one piece, like scavenging thousands of pieces of Legos upstairs, downstairs. I'm losing my patience. I'm just like, ugh. Finally, I'm like, dude, I got to quit. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm up, upset. He's upset. I go downstairs to get some water. He comes down and says, Daddy, but I, I have an idea. I was like, what's the idea, dude? It's been an hour. He says, let's pray. And God will help us find this piece. And I'm like, no, that's not the first, like, I don't want his faith to be built on finding a Lego because uh, we're not going to find this Lego and he's not going to believe in God and like his whole theology is going to be crashed. No. And so in that moment, all these things are going through my mind and I say, then I'm thinking, the creator of the universe has bigger things to do than find a Lego piece, right? But what do I do as the dad? Sure, let's pray, buddy. And he prays. And, um, you know, we pray and I'm, I'm just hoping. I was like, well, buddy, if you don't, I'm trying to set him up. He, he walks upstairs, doesn't listen to me. I'm trying to set him up, you know, for failure. Um, and he doesn't, just walks up, and I'm looking downstairs. I'm just like, oh, God, please. Within 60 seconds, he comes down and says, Daddy, I, guess what? I found the piece. <laughs> like an hour of looking, he finds it, and I'm like, that just blows all my theology down about westernized Christianity. That's all about me and my, right? But, but you know, he prayed this prayer. It's a little misguided, probably a little, you know, personally focused, but you know what? God answered that prayer, and I want to talk to you today at our Joshua 10 about uh, how God answers sometimes our misguided prayers, how sometimes we don't know what to pray, how sometimes we don't even have the words to pray. And it's amazing how God still answers those prayers. And in Joshua 10, it's really important to know what's happening here. Moses, the greatest Jewish leader ever, has led the children of Israel out of Egypt. 
right? They're not slaves any longer, and now they're entering into what they call their promised land. And they're going in, and there's battles, and things are going on. Joshua has now taken over for Moses. The greatest way to have career suicide is this. Take over for someone who's a long-term great leader, right? Most pastors know this. Don't ever follow up the guy who's been there forever. Uh, You'll never measure up. Well, Joshua does a pretty good job, though. I mean, he's leading the children of Israel. Things are going well. But they hit a snag. They run into the Amorites, and the Amorites want to destroy Israel. And so Joshua, in this moment, as a good spiritual leader would do, pauses to pray. And we're going to look at this prayer today and break it down. But in Joshua chapter 10, verse 12, it says this, On the day the Lord gave the Israelites victory over the Amorites, Joshua prayed to the Lord in front of all the people of Israel. He said, Let the sun stand still over Gibeon and the moon over the valley of Ejelon. So the sun stood still and the moon stayed in place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. The sun stayed in the middle of the sky and it did not set as on a normal day. There's never been a day like this one before or since when the Lord answered such a prayer. Surely the Lord fought for Israel that day. Now again, we don't really know exactly what happened that day right? Like, we're not sure. Because I'm not, I don't know if you know this or not. Maybe this never occurred to you. The sun doesn't move. The moon doesn't move. The earth moves, right? Joshua prayed a prayer that was like scientifically impossible for it to happen. Like, this couldn't happen. So we're not sure exactly what happened. Uh, Some people believe maybe the sun, maybe just time stopped. Maybe God paused time, it was a really long day, and that gave him more chance to beat the, the Amorites. Others believe that the hailstorm that was mentioned in verse 11, maybe that came in and pummeled them, and not sure if there was like a, you know, maybe a lunar eclipse. Uh, but then what we've come to learn recently, and actually in the last five years, uh, there was a physicist who figured out and began to study history and research, and check this out, they researched this, this is 3,280 years ago, And on an inscription of one of the pharaohs, uh, it says there, and it mentions Israel, and mentions a lunar eclipse. The first one ever recorded in history. As they begin to put times up, this was the first lunar and the longest lunar eclipse ever in history. And that's what non-Christian physicists and those guys have found out that that's what happened that day. So there's always been like, what happened? Because the sun doesn't move, the moon doesn't move. Like, so what did God do? How did God do this? Um, That's what they believe. But I want to encourage you because think about this. Mamas, we are really grateful for you. My grandmother prayed for me every day that I drove by her house when I was going out to sin as hard as I could. You know, I should be dead. And that little old lady got on her hands and knees and prayed for me and pleaded the blood of Jesus. She prayed and prayed and didn't know exactly what I needed, didn't know exactly how God would do it, but she prayed. Thank you, mamas, for doing that. Because this passage is going to encourage you today. Because some of you are praying for your family. You're praying. You've you've kept us alive through your prayers. Thank you. Some of us would be dead today uh, if it wasn't for you. Grandmothers, thank you for that. This is encouraging to you. But I want you to understand this too. Men in here, this should encourage you as well. Because men have a hard time verbalizing their feelings, right? Don't ever ask a man, a man how do you feel about this? Ask him, what do they think? Because men don't feel, right? They're like, I don't know. Like emotions, Ugh, get away from me. Ugh. 
And so prayer is admitting you're weak. Prayer is admitting that you need help. And it's verbalizing your emotions. Three things men all are really terrible at. So a lot of times you wonder, well, why aren't men leading the way in prayer? It's it's hard. It's hard for us. You're going to be encouraged. Because you may not find like that you have the words to pray. You may feel like, man, I don't, oh man, prayer is hard for me. You're going to find this encouraging. So if you guys have your notes, mothers, grandmothers, men, they write this down. This is key. This is what we can learn from Joshua 10, is that God knows what you need even when you don't know what you need. I say, when you're praying and you're thinking, I don't even know like how to pray this. I don't know exactly what my spouse needs, my children need. God, what do I do? What do I pray for? God knows what you need, even when you don't know what you need. So I think sometimes, I used to believe this way, because I was taught, you better pray very specifically, which is good. Pray specifically. That's great. Sometimes I don't know what to pray, though, right? And I, I, I kind of like thought about like the cartoons and the movies where you had the genie in the bottle, and you, he came out, and, the, and you, you remember the person would pray that prayer, and it was like something was wrong with it, or say that wish, and the genie was like, oh, well, you got, and something bad happened to them. Say so they used their other two wishes to get out of that first wish. Remember that? That's how I kind of felt prayer was when I was kind of like growing up. Like, oh man, I've not prayed the wrong thing. God, man. Listen, guys, God knows what you need even when you don't know what you need. Joshua did not know what he needed. He thought he needed the sun to stand still and the moon to stop. And guess what? That was impossible to happen. And God wasn't like, sorry, Joshua. <laughs> If you were just a little more advanced in your scientific knowledge of the universe, I could answer that prayer. But since you've asked for something that's impossible, I can't do that for you. Good luck with the Amorites. That's not what God did. God knew what he needed, and God intervened with exactly what he needed, which we now know to be the longest lunar eclipse in history and the first one ever recorded in history. And God did that for him to give him victory over that. And Romans 8.26 is super encouraging with this. You have your copy of God's Word. You can look at Romans 8. Paul is writing here to the church at Rome. We looked at this several weeks ago. But, but here's how this applies to us today. He said, And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. Now, this is the Apostle Paul saying this, y'all. Like the greatest contributor to Christianity ever. Ever. Like wrote two-thirds of the New Testament planted all these churches, revolutionized the gospel in the first century. And he says, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. If anybody knew what God wanted them to pray for, guess who it was? The Apostle Paul. And he just says, hey, we don't know. But look at the encouragement. He says, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that, it, that cannot be expressed with words. But what does that mean? That means there's times that you're hurting so bad, you don't know what to pray for. And men, you don't know how to verbalize it. And the Lord knows exactly what you need, and the Holy Spirit prays for you. He knows. He's like, oh, yeah, Lord, this is exactly what they need. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything. Causes what? Everything. Right, church? To work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Be encouraged. Some of my greatest times of prayer have been this. Help, Lord. I don't know what to do. And I cannot tell. I, I, could, I could sit here and preach the rest of this time of stories of how God answered help. 
I don't know. Not my eloquent prayers where I had it all figured out and gave God my timeline and my agenda. It was when I was weak, when I had no clue what to pray for, and I just prayed help. And the Holy Spirit's like, God, here's exactly what, what, what this guy needs. And God came through in such an amazing way. Now, what I want you to realize, though, about this prayer here, and this is what I want you to focus on, though, is something super important about not only when God answers your prayer and He knows what you need, but very, very, very key, and it's this. There was a bigger prayer answered that, uh, than what happened that particular day. There was a bigger prayer that was answered than what happened that particular day. What, what happened that day? God gave Israelites victory over the Amorites, right? Something way bigger was happening. Yeah, Joshua's prayer was answered. That's great. But here's what we have to understand. God wants to answer the bigger prayer, even when we don't know what to pray. We're praying things we're glad God didn't answer. So for Israel, here's the key. People always ask, why would a good, loving, and merciful God allow Israel to kill other countries? That's the question all the time people ask, right? Well, here's why. And it starts in Genesis 3.15 to understand this. This is after that the serpent has deceived Adam and Eve. They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And now mankind is cursed with sin. Mankind is separated from God. And then here's what God tells Satan in Genesis 3.15. He says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, <clears throat> between your seed and her seed. He, watch this now, he. Who is he? Jesus. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That's the first gospel ever that was preached. It's called the Proto-Evangelium, meaning that God told Satan, I got someone coming. You just get ready. You think you've destroyed mankind. You think you've separated humanity from me. But you just wait because there's a seed through her seed. He is going to crush your head. And yeah, you're going to bruise his heel. Yeah, it's gonna, the crucifixion's going to hurt a little bit, right, for a, a momentary uh, a, a hurt and affliction. But you know what's going to happen long term? We're going to crush you. And Satan knew that promise. And so God brought the seed of Messiah through Israel to show his faithfulness and his goodness. And everything that happened to Israel was a shadow of what would happen through Christ, right, as a prototype of what would happen. And so in the Old Testament, all these pagan, wicked uh, countries— had a demonic assignment, destroy Israel, cut off the seed. We do not want that seed to be born because we know, Satan's like, hey, we know if Messiah comes, salvation can come, and we don't want that for anybody. And so God gave Israel victory over them. There was a bigger prayer that was answered than what happened that particular day. The bigger prayer was God saw Messiah. He saw you and I, and he saw that we needed salvation. Joshua, rightfully so, was just praying for victory, right? I mean, nothing wrong with that. I mean, you're praying right now for something in your little part of the, 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 the globe, your little, your little bit of life, but you have to understand something. God wants the bigger thing. He wants the long game. And many times just in prayer and our relationship with God, we see the short game, what I need right now from you. Nothing wrong with that. But you have to understand that God wants to answer the bigger prayer, and, and here's the issue. Here's my fear for you and I. If we get this wrong, then what will happen is we will limit like God's answers to prayer to our own understanding. We're going to limit it. So what's going to happen is we're going to say, and you probably, have you ever asked this question, God, why did you not answer this prayer? 
Let's be honest, right? Why did you not heal my mom? My mom died you know, 10 years ago of cancer, 62 years old. God, why? Why did you allow the divorce to happen? Why did you allow this bad thing to happen to me? Why didn't you answer the prayer in the way that I wanted it answered? And if we're honest as believers, or maybe you're not even a believer and you've answered, you asked that question, that's fine. Is that what happens is the reason we ask those things because we see the short game. We see the Amorites, just like Joshua did, and we want victory right now over the Amorites. And God says, yeah, I, I, know, I, I know you need a temporary victory now, and that's good, but I see something way bigger than what's happening. And many times we limit God's answering of prayer to our own understanding. Okay, so imagine trying to explain calculus to a one-year-old. Is it possible? Well, uh, yes, I believe. No, no, then you've never parented before, right? <laughs> calculus, advanced calculus, trigonometry, they can't comprehend it, can't fathom it. That's how it is between us and God on a much, 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 much bigger scale. If God explained to you all the moving parts of the universe and what has to happen with this and that and the big picture and the eternal thing, you couldn't fathom it. You'd be like a one-year-old, like, huh? <laughs> Toys. And God's like, oh, no, 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 really, I just started the equation. That's how it is. And many times we limit God's answers to prayer to that. See, this, this is really important for me, and I'm passionate about this because this is part of my story. So we had a plan to go plant a church in South Florida. That was my wife and I. We, we met in 2003, started dating. We celebrate 16 years of marriage this week. Um, I know to be 26 years old. Thank you. We got married at 10. It was, you know, it was arranged marriage. Okay. How can you be so young and married for so long? You know, hey, we grew up in rural North Carolina. So uh, <laughs> you get married at 13 then. I'm joking, right? And so um, we've been together a long time. And so when we first got together, we really prayed, God, what do you want from us? I knew I was called to church ministry. Wasn't sure what. We came to the terms through being mentored that I would be a church planter. That was just better for me because back 20 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, churches weren't like they were today. Like this church is much different, thankfully, today. I didn't feel like I would fit in. So we decided to go plant a church in South Florida. 2003, we prayed, we fasted, we decided. And so we planned for six years to go do this. We would drive down to South Florida, scope the land out there, pray, do prayer walks, bring families with us. The Seymours came with us, Brian and Isabel, many times. And Keith and Lauren came and visited down there. And we were just gung-ho about it. And in 2008, uh, my wife finished her undergrad, and we decided to move back home for a year. We're like, well, we have nothing to do. I, I, I left the student ministry I was at, and my time was up there, and I actually took you know, several months off from ministry. And we are driving to North Carolina. I didn't know where I was going to live at. We didn't have an apartment yet. I was in a U-Haul. I don't live by that type of faith anymore, y'all. <laughs> I need somewhere to lay my head. So I'm driving. And man, it's just kind of a cool, cool thing. So I'm driving, and on the way there, an apartment opens up that was a long waiting list for that we wanted to be in. We're like, it's God. Not only that, on the way there, we are driving, and we get a call that my wife has been extended an interview to, for PA school 30 minutes from our hometown we by faith are moving to. We're like, God, right? Nothing but God. Her and one more person. Not only that, I get a full-time job at my home church. I got saved at. And I'm like, this is just like, could this not be any more God lining it all up? So our plan was in our mind, okay, here's what we're going to do. 2008, 
you know, she's, she's going to get in school here at Methodist University, 30 minutes away. I have a full-time job, place to live. My parents are there. It's going to be great. Her parents are there. We'll go plant in 2012 down in Florida. That's her timeline. We had a few families going to move with us. We had it all planned out. And everybody's telling us, man, this is God. Yeah, this is God. This is so cool. She goes in for the interview. And I'm going to be honest. I know this may be a little prideful, but like my wife is beautiful. She's charming. She's witty. She's sarcastic. She never complains. She just, she's never missed a day of work due to being sick. Like she's like a machine and she's also a rad mountain biker. So like my wife put her in an interview against any other woman or any other person. I'm putting my money on her. I don't bet, but I put my money on her, right? She's not in here at this service. So it's not just brown nosing. Um, and so, so anyway, she goes into this interview I'll never forget, she, she goes in, she's confident, it went great. We go in to work at her parents' restaurant that Saturday morning, and we, she gets a letter in the mail, and it says she was not accepted, declined. She'd be out of school for a whole year, didn't get into any schools, and we were absolutely heartbroken. What do we do? Like, what do we do? I have no clue. What, I mean, the question, will I ever get into school? She was angry. She was, t- she was sad. I was angry with God, guys, ticked with God ordained minister ticked with God. Why, God? Why? Why would you bring us to North Carolina? Why would you even give her an interview? What type of cruel God would extend an interview and then, boom, don't get it? Matter of fact, you, get, you just get to work at a restaurant the whole year and not sure if you'll ever get into the school of your dreams to be what you want to be. Just sit at home. This is what you get. And I was angry. I called my best friend, and I was so angry. I was like yelling. I was angry, and I may have been like, speaking in tongues or using some language that, you know, we'll call it that. I don't know. I don't know. Right? But here's the thing. We were upset with God and we were bewildered in that moment. We couldn't believe that God did not answer that prayer. But here's what happened. 2009, she got into school in South Florida, only an hour and a half away from where we were planting a church. I had friends who'd already moved down there. We're going to wait three years uh, for us. I got a job down in South Florida in the city we're going to plant the church in. And so God lined it all up for us to go down there. But that's not the answer. 2009, we got in South Florida. Our plan was 2012. I'm going somewhere with this. This is big. 2011, God began to call me out of that church, and my mom got terminal cancer in North Carolina. That's where they live three hours south of here. God called me out of there. I had a guy raised up trained him to take it over, and I started applying to churches all across the U.S. of A. I have advanced degrees, and nobody would take me. God was not opening any doors. I was like, God, what is this? What are you doing? Like, I, I thought you were calling me out of here. I get a call at 9 o'clock at night from an 804 number. And my friend, who's a network director over churches here in Virginia, said, hey, I just want to talk to you. I heard, I heard you're, you're transitioning out, man. Can we talk? There's a church of 20 people that meet in what used to be an old tennis club, and they got about three to six months to make it. Would you want to come here? And I'm thinking, God, thank you. The only, you're going to give me a suicide mission. Thank you. I'll move there with 20 people. I've, I've planted a church with well above that. And we came here. We met with the people in March of 2012, and it was absolutely beautiful. We decided to move here in June of 2012. Friends, where was I supposed to be in 2012? Florida. Virginia was not on my five-year plan, my 10-year plan. I never wanted to move to Richmond, Virginia. (laughs) I wanted to stay in South Florida. I wanted to buy a burial plot there. 
God had a bigger picture plan in mind because over the past 10 years here at Thrive Church, we have, we have seen 375 plus people water baptized, over 1,000 people commit or recommit their lives to Christ. Amen. We've given thousands of dollars away to church planting, to missions. Man, we have been able to impact our community. We've been able to mentor other pastors. It is phenomenal. And I said all that to say this. I had one little prayer in mind. My one little, that 2008, get her into that school, God. Why are you so cruel? I look back now and I realize that I serve a good God. He's a good shepherd. And he was leading and guiding the whole time, even when I didn't know what to pray. So I want you to, to write this down because here is the key to this right here. Here's the key. Trust God's leadership over your followership. God's a much better leader than you are follower. Have you ever noticed that? Sometimes I asked a friend one time, well, how's it going? How's your spiritual walk going? He said, sometimes I'm following Jesus and sometimes he's following me. <laughs> You're chasing me and bring me back in, right? <laughs> and you need to take the anxiety off of your prayer life. I don't know what to pray. I mean, I'm not a good enough person that God would answer my prayers. Stop it. Stop it. The Father knows what you need before you even need it. He knows exactly how to answer and pull these things together for you. He is a good leader. Jesus calls himself in John 10, the good shepherd. And all the little good Jewish boys and girls knew that terminology. Because David calls the Lord his shepherd in Psalm 23. And they knew that. They recited the Torah often. And what I love about Psalm 23 is we hear it at funerals oftentimes because we just look at the valley of the shadow of death and we zero in on that. But Psalm 23 had very little to do about David. It had much to do about the good shepherd, the Lord. Because he says here that he leads me, right, into green pastures. Not that, hey, I'm, I'm really good at finding green pastures. He leads, he leads me beside still waters. He anoints my head with oil. He goes before me and prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Who's the main character of Psalm 23? It's not David and his tough times. It's God and his leadership. And I want to encourage you that sometimes you have these situations just like the Amorites in your life, and you're wondering, what's going to happen? What do I do? Trust God's leadership over your followership, even when you don't know what to pray, even when it doesn't make sense. Trust God in that. And that's what I've learned. I look back at that 2008 scenario. Now when things come at me and things hit me, guess what? I'm like, he's a good shepherd. He's going to provide. Well, how do you know that? I've seen him do it over and over again. I've seen him answer prayers and provide this and provide that. It's amazing. If you've never experienced that, you'll have that anxiety at first, but then you're going to learn to trust his leadership over your followership. So how do you do that? Go even when you don't know. What do you mean? Go where? Go what? Watch this in Hebrews 4, 15. The writer of Hebrews says this, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Pause for a second. You've got to realize the beauty of Christianity. No other religion has a prominent figure that suffered. They were always successful reaching nirvana, doing this and leading military conquest and all these things you see. Jesus, 
faced everything you faced on earth. Have you been hurt by somebody or betrayed by a friend? Jesus says, man, I know how, I remember Judas, he did it to me. He was a good friend. Sold me out to be killed. And I, it hurts. He, he understands. Think about this. Are you struggling with a sin or an addiction that you hate and you wish it was gone? Jesus says, I bore that sin on the cross. That's why darkness covered the earth. We talked about it at Easter. That's, he took the wrath of man. He took that sin. He knows how it feels to bear to bore that sin. He knows how it feels. We have a Savior who suffered. And so because of that, the writer of Hebrews says this. He says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace and uh, to help in time of need. Go even when you don't know. Go to his throne even when you don't know what to say or what to do. or You don't feel good enough or worthy enough. He is ready to help you. He's ready to answer that prayer. And here's my prayer for you. I pray that God would do it in a way you only know it's Him. So that you'll have a story, just like I shared with you, you'll have a story of God's intervention, God's sovereignty, and God always is lining things up. And it's so beautiful that you'll have a story to tell. Why? Because there's somebody in your life who doesn't know Jesus, who walked away from the Lord. And they're going to say, man, I'm just, you know what, I just, they're a co-worker. They're going to tell you over lunch one day or over a coffee break or, I'm just struggling, man. I've I got this anxiety about it. I don't know what's going to happen. And you can say, can I tell you? I've been there too. Oh, it was tough. But I don't know where you're at with the Lord, but I can say this to you. He wants to answer that prayer more than you want it answered. And he knows what you need even when you don't know what you need. And you're going to bring peace, and you're going to bring, you're going to draw somebody back to the Lord because of your story. You're going to be able to share with them the goodness of the Lord because of your story. So I'm praying for you right now that God would do it in a way that you only know it's Him, and it's undeniable that it's Him. Some of you mothers are praying for your children to come to know the Lord. There's a lot of anxiety there trust in his leadership over your followership. Trust that he's at work and there's a story coming. Some of you grandmothers have been praying for your family for years and years and years. I want you to trust the Lord on this Mother's Day. Release that anxiety and let the Lord come in and he's going to do it in a way you only know it's him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray this morning, guys. Father, we just love you. We praise you this morning. And we thank you that you're a much better leader than we are follower. We thank you, God, for the times you've answered prayers that we've needed, and you've not answered prayers that we prayed that we thought we needed answered. Thank you. There's people we thought we should have been with and been, been married to or in relationships with that you cut it off, Lord, because you knew what we really needed. You're such a good God. Now, Father, I just pray that we would go boldly to your throne of grace, even when we don't know, Lord. And we ask for courage for patience and for peace in the good name of Jesus. And as we're praying today, church, in this mode of prayer, maybe you walked away from your faith. Or maybe you've never given your life to Christ. Today is your day. God loves you. He sent his son just for you, to die for you, to be crucified and to rise again. He wants to be in relationship with you. Come as you are. 
So right now, if that's you, whether you're in here physically or online today, I want you to pray this prayer. Make this confession of faith after me. You say, God, I admit I'm a sinner. I admit I need the Savior. Today, I confess Jesus as my Lord. Today, I believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again on the third day. I ask for forgiveness of sins. I repent and turn from that old life. Today I receive brand new life in you, Christ. Thank you. And it's in Jesus' good name I pray. Amen.